0: Hi, I'm Al Tharp,
1: and I'm Kim Vu.
0: Welcome to Vietnola, the show about being Vietnamese in New Orleans, coming to you from Pho Nội Viet Restaurant, located at 2005 Magazine Street in the Lower Garden District.
1: Xin chào quý vị, đây là bài Vietnola chương trình phát hành về cộng đồng Việt Nam ở New Orleans từ nhà hàng Phở Nồi Việt ở số 2005 phố Magazine ở quận Lower Garden.
0: Today on the show, we've got some ancient wisdom, some lessons on being a polite Vietnamese person, news, and a conversation with our guest, Allison Ecker, the International Development Coordinator for the Asia Injury Prevention Foundation. Welcome to the show, Allison. And what is the Asian Injury Prevention Foundation?
2: Hey, how y'all doing? (laughs) Um, So, Asia Injury Prevention Foundation focuses on reducing traffic fatalities and injuries in the in the developing world and we started off in vietnam in 1999 So we've been going at it since then and expanding
1: great. And where are you right now? Alison?
2: Right now. I'm sitting in a hotel room in Phnom Penh, Cambodia Actually, I just had a work trip. So I came down here for a couple of days.
1: Thank you so much for being with us This is fun and and we miss you here in New Orleans.
2: Oh, I miss New Orleans, too. Oh,
1: how long have you been in Vietnam now?
2: Um, So I lived in New Orleans for from 2009 to 2012, and then I moved um, to Hanoi, Vietnam, in August of 2012, so I've been in the region for about a year
1: at this mm-hmm. point. And so far, so good?
2: Yeah, it's great. I mean... Vietnam is sort of a little bit like a roller coaster. I mean, it's really fun. (laughs) A lot of days. And there's, you know, so much to go do and explore and discover. And then there are the days when it's, like, just so hot here and you don't understand anything. Um, (laughs) Somebody (laughs) almost runs into you with a motorbike, you know. So it's amazing. And then really you know kind of crazy sometimes
1: I'd like to think that the New Orleans weather got you a little bit ready for what you deal with in in the heat wise in Hanoi Isn't
2: yeah definitely I think they're um, actually I've had a lot of conversations with people I think Hanoi and New Orleans have so many similarities please both share like hot <laughs> yeah I know they're I mean they're both like really hot and humid all the time um, you have like the French colonial architecture everywhere You know, there's chickens on the street all over Hanoi, and
1: (laughs) And for our listeners who aren't familiar with chickens in the street in New Orleans, it does happen. There are chickens in the street in New Orleans. (laughs) Maybe not in the French Quarter, but
2: yeah, exactly, it happens. And then you know, there's um, uh, there's a lot of women, you know, bicycling around selling bread Mm -hmm. out of their bicycles.
1: Did it make you think of Mr. Okra? New
2: Orleans for sure.
1: Do you, have you have you felt like you you felt the spirits of Mr. Okra in Vietnam?
2: I think so. I think so. <laughs> Just yelling out, trying to sell their food, getting anybody who could come by. Yeah, for sure.
1: My mother actually agrees with you very, very much so. And when she first heard Mr. Okra, she went bananas. And she was so excited. And she called my dad right away. She's like, it's just like Vietnam. They sell vegetables on the streets here. They drive through and they still sell things on the streets. Which is nice to know that that still happens in Vietnam after all these years.
2: Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's also, I mean, there's everything you can get on the streets. I mean, women have... So they have the two little carrying cases in front of them and one of them has like a hot pot of water and the back part has all their ingredients and they will just walk around and set up shop anywhere and make you up whatever food you want. So
1: it's yeah. pretty amazing. I, I, it sounds like you've learned to love Vietnamese cuisine.
2: Oh, definitely. Definitely. No, I've um, indulged in many, many different things all across the spectrum i mean here everything everything is consumed
1: <laughs> i i noticed with your favorite dishes you had some unusual ones not not the normal what's your favorite dish i love uh, yeah. kind of response yeah i was very impressed allison very okay, <laughs> impressed.
2: Good. so yeah so my favorite i think and this is a favorite i think among most expats in hanoi um bun cha mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how common. I don't think it's it's a northern specialty dish. It is a northern specialty.
1: So, yeah, yeah. Most um, of the so Vietnamese describe- people here are southerners, so it's very hard uh, to get that on uh, the menu here. Yeah.
0: Why don't you right. all describe bún chả to us? Yeah,
1: as- go for it, Al. So uh,
2: bún chả is just basically it's um, pork that is uh, barbecued on the side of the street, and so they do a really excellent job of barbecuing it. As close to the street as possible, and then fanning it so it like wafts into the street, and nobody can like you get buy it without smelling it. it and wanting some.
1: They fan um, it just so, just so uh, that you cannot turn around, not walk away by, from yeah. it. Yeah, uh,
2: <laughs> exactly. Um, and then it's just sort of some boon noodles, and then some dipping sauce, which is basically like your soup. So you have your sort of your oily soup and then you put in your noodles and then you put in your meat and then you put in some greens on top of that. And it's, I don't know, it's a good, it's a great combination of sort of sweet and savory. And um, and then the other really important, I think the reason a lot of foreigners like it is there's not a lot of bones in it, which compared <laughs> to all the other dishes that you get in Hanoi, you know, you don't have that problem of maybe chomping into something and breaking your tooth. So
1: Speaking of which, we just got some food delivered to us. Um
0: Dish, yeah, I'm afraid I'm going to have to. It's great.
1: Oh, it's you have seafood yeah, allergy? Seafood. Oh no. Um, well, you want to describe what you're seeing before you, and then ask me questions, and I can break down for Allison what we're eating right now.
0: It's a noodle dish with shrimp, and topped with scallions. It looks like.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's it's the same noodles that the Thai will use for pad Thai, and mm-hmm. sh- and she has put some. Cilantro and green onions, minced very finely, with the side of crushed peanuts to sprinkle over it. So it, it's a lot like, basically, it's a lot like pad Thai. Um, uh-huh. the Vietnamese, as you know, will take many a dish and adopt it as its own. Like there's some Indian curries that, that you know a lot of Vietnamese people think is actually Vietnamese because it's uh-huh. been so beloved in, especially in the south, where you have a lot more. Um, I guess a lot more inter- intercultural passing mm-hmm. through, through Saigon. In
0: general, has the South over, over time been more cosmopolitan than the North, would you say?
1: I would say just understanding my parents' history and since when I was there, yes, definitely. Yeah. You definitely have uh, much um, more embracing of outside cultures. It even feels much more international, at least when I lived there. How, what's, what's your sense now? Allison.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, so food-wise, it's definitely, I think, embracing of maybe much more of dishes, you know, from the region, and so it's it's much more sauce-filled. It's sweeter. It's mm-hmm. spicier. Whereas in Hanoi, it's much more savory and salty. Yeah, um, and a little bit more basic, I would say. Um, you know, I think there's there's just the I think way, the way it is right now in Vietnam, as far as I understand, is you know, Ho Chi Minh City has in the south has a lot more of. A, Maybe the corporations. Yeah, um, the streets are laid out in much more of a grid pattern, it, so it does feel a little bit more Western.
1: Hanoi is um, so much in, more traditional.
2: Yeah, in, uh, Hanoi is more traditional, and it's you know these chaotic, tighter little streets. Um, but the thing is, you know, there's a lot more in Hanoi. The embassies are all up here. Um, there's a lot of international NGOs, and so that sort of brings with it a different sense of, I think, inter, you know, an, inter, an international feel in that sort of sense.
1: I always, um, I tended to prefer the architecture of the north of Hanoi to Saigon. I felt like I always enjoyed seeing a lot of ancient Chinese architecture mixed with French colonial, mixed with, you know, traditional, you know, small Vietnamese workforce housing. uh, Visually, I mean, both cities have their perks, but... For yeah. me, and also my parents are from the north. I definitely <laughs> there were definitely things. It was it seemed it was easier to get around in Hanoi than it was in Saigon when I lived there fifteen years ago. Uh, what's yeah. what's the situation now?
2: I think it, that's still true. I mean, I have friends in Ho Chi Minh City, and I think the only way they're getting around is by a motorbike or by taking taxis. We're in Hanoi. You can definitely, I mean, a lot of people live close enough. They can walk to their offices or they can, you can easily bike anywhere you want to in the city in 20 minutes. So everything's a little bit closer, I think.
1: Speaking um, of which, let's let's get to the nature of your work. Yeah. And what you do. Um, when I lived there, it was primarily bicycle. And I would say two thirds of folks were on bicycles and about right. a third were on uh, motor scooters and, you know, a handful, just a mere handful of people would have cars, mostly taxi drivers or people related to uh, NGOs or the embassies or other internationally related organizations. What's the situation like now? Um,
2: I think it changed dramatically since that point. So today there's about something like 36 million registered vehicles in Vietnam. Oh my God. About 99- 95% of those are motorbikes. Um, so that's, when you get on the street, that's all you're really seeing. Um, and then, you know, on the totem pole, the bicycles and the pedestrians are definitely the lowest. Um, <laughs> you, you're relegated to the side and you're you're fighting for your space. Are you still um,
1: bike-bound, Allison? Am I still, am I still what? Are you still a good bike rider and walker or has that...
2: Uh, it, well, so I started, when I first got here, well, first week was just walking, and then and then I got a bicycle, and I was on a bicycle for the first about eight months I was here, and then summer hit again, and it was just so hot and so horrible to arrive places, so sweaty, so it was like, enough of this. And I, I got a <laughs> motorbike about a, a few months ago. So you have um, joined the,
0: the army of bikes. So I'm, I'm impressed. I have joined them. Yeah, and it's
2: great. It's so nice. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, I think... Motorbiking in Illinois is the like the most terrifying thing when you first start, but then it's like so much fun once you get going. Are I think met- it's like one of my best the fav- my favorite parts about the city for sure.
0: you mentioned uh, helmet use has, has that become fairly ubiquitous or are you still fighting right. that battle?
2: So that's um so the organization I work for so AIP Foundation we originally got our start focused on helmet usage. So, in 2000, we opened up, um, it's called the ProTech Helmet Factory, um, and so um, so the, sort of the trajectory that's happened in Vietnam is that around 2007, a national law was finally passed that made it mandatory for everybody on a motorbike um, to wear a helmet, and it was, pretty, it was a really amazing success story, because I think there was a lot of advocacy work that went on beforehand So the helmet wearing rate went from maybe about less than 10% in early December 2007, and then the law was passed December 15th, and it went up to 95% almost immediately. Wow.
1: That's Uh, amazing.
2: Yeah. So, and it's, um, you know, since that point, there's still a lot of difficulties um, that we're sort of um, working on here um, in terms of helmet usage. Yeah. So many, many of the drivers at this point are wearing helmets. Um, The problem is, many of them aren't quality. So, of you know, of all the helmets being worn, about only twenty percent of them reach quality standards, and the rest of them, if you got into an accident, wouldn't protect you. So that's a big battle right now to make sure that um, we're not importing low-quality helmets and that police officers are enforcing it, so you are wearing a good helmet. And then the other problem is that um, many children don't wear a helmet. Um, Mm. It depends on the city. Um, In Ho Chi Minh City, it it can, uh, up to 50% in some neighborhoods Our children are wearing helmets, but then, you know, in Hanoi, in some neighborhoods, it's down to like 8% of children. So those are two different sort of, you know, um, challenges, I guess we have right now that we're focusing on.
1: So... Can we talk about the origins of how your organization started it? Like who, who, what organization or individual decided that this was an issue to be tackled?
0: And and how did you come to be involved in in, your passion? Right.
2: So, right. So our organization um, was founded by Greg Kraft, who is, he's an American who originally just worked in business in Vietnam. And I think he arrived pretty early here. He arrived in like 1989, Um, And so I think after working in the country for a while and really understanding the issues, he came to realize this was huge, you know, the country was increasing in terms of its, um, you know, um, economic levels and with that sort of, you know, personal income increase came a change in, you know, continuously in sort of everybody's um, vehicles they were using and this was going to be a huge deal in terms of helmet usage. So now, did that he was, come you know,
1: to work in the private sector, or was he an NGO expat like no, yourself? No, so he
2: was working in the private sector, I think, for over 10 years in Vietnam, hmm. and then sort of made this shift because he felt like it was such an important thing, and I think he really felt called to sort of answer this issue. Um, and so he you know, personally invested a lot of money, and then he had a lot of connections in, in the business world that he was able to utilize to get the helmet factory started to do um some of our first we do a lot of school-based programs and so like one of his first school-based programs he did he was able to get clinton to come over and sort of start our helmets for kids program oh my gosh um yeah so and he just was able to pull a lot of strings with his connections and get the organization started
1: um where's your factory uh, out of uh what was that where's the factory out of
2: so the factory is in is sort of over by the by the airport um, in Hanoi okay and and then all of our helmets are shipped throughout Vietnam I would say um, there's a there's a pretty good percentage of people in Hanoi wearing them maybe a little bit less so in Ho Chi Minh City but they're all over the country and then we also ship our helmets out to um, Cambodia we've shipped them out to projects in Uganda Tanzania so they' Our helmets, so they're, they're tropical helmets, which makes them sort of good for the environment here. Because I think one of the problems um, that made a lot of people hesitant to wear helmets for a long time was that they were described as rice cookers. <laughs> so, course. you know, it's and so hot black. and humid here. <laughs> and you put on these, yeah, you put on these big helmets and your head just literally can't breathe. And it's you can't see anything to the left and right. So these helmets are half helmets. They're, they sit above your ears. But they still provide almost all the same protection to your head. But then they allow you to breathe a little bit easier. Um, is
1: there, and they're, are they're... there, like, ventilation components yeah, to it as well?
2: right. Yeah, so there's ventilation on the top. And then it doesn't cover your ears entirely. So you can. it helps in that sort of respect. And they're a little bit cheaper than these. Like, the full helmets can run $20, 30 $40, which is a lot for a family making, you know, only $150 a month. Um, and so our helmets are about um, 10 $11 retail. Mm-hmm. So that kind of helps with people buying them, actually. Great. Um, yeah, and then the way that I came over here, um, so I'm here through a program called Princeton in Asia. So Princeton in Asia, um, they offer sort of fellowship opportunities for people to teach, work in businesses, work in NGOs on one-year-long fellowships. So I applied to the program and was sort of interested in working in urban issues somewhere in Southeast Asia. So said this was a really good fit for me.
1: Um, I know Allison. And- I, I consider her a, a lifer. Uh, she worked for a non-profit here and Uh that's how we met and she's just going to be one of those people who ends up doing (laughs) something along the lines of non-profit work for the rest of she's cursed
0: to do it the rest of (laughs) her life oh
2: gosh don't say that Kim
0: (laughs) (laughs) well do you see see yourself uh, staying in Southeast Asia for for a while
2: Um, I'm going to be here for at least the next year Um, but then I think I'm going to go back and go to grad school Uh probably another about year from now
1: um, so, so I needed to know, this is very important, um, because yes. I would like to visit Vietnam before the years out. What neighborhood are you living in right now? <laughs> so
2: I live in Bading. do you have a
1: spare bed? <laughs>
2: oh, I do. Always forgive. Uh, you got it. You're coming.
1: <laughs> what, what neighborhood?
2: So, so Bading District. So Bading is, um, it's south of Westlake. It's, I live, like, I live right next to the zoo. Okay. Yep, fun. And actually, I live right down the street. Okay, there's the biggest building in Vietnam is being built right now. It's like a seventy-five story building. Are you kidding
0: in, me? In Hanoi, yeah. in ancient Hanoi,
2: it's huge. It's yeah, and it's not really surrounded by any other big building, so it <laughs> it trumps everything around
1: <laughs> it's it.
0: Extra big. <laughs>
1: now, yeah, when I like... lived there the, in Westlake, you could walk. There were places and that served their delicacy of it was highly touted all over the country to go get snails at Westlake. So a lot of these cafes would serve snails with a lot of medicinal remedies in them. Is that still the case or is that, you know, there are snails everywhere, but
2: I have not tried it yet. (laughs) That's one of the things that along with like dog and pigeon, I have not decided to partake in quite yet.
1: Fair enough. You still have a year. I'm not into that either. (laughs) Um, Okay, Allison, I'm going to ask you to help us with our next segment. Uh, We call it Vietiquette. And I actually asked you beforehand some favorite little interesting quirks about Vietnamese culture or etiquette uh, that we could share with Al to get him ready for when he visits Vietnam. All
2: right. Okay.
1: I liked, uh, last week we talked about the importance of saving face in Vietnamese culture. And mm-hmm. how you never you you do your best not to show weakness of yourself or your family.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: This week, I, I liked some of the things that you brought up to me. Uh, one in particular is how the youngest person at the table distributes chopsticks to everyone else. Do you want to talk a little bit, explain how that goes uh, to Al, and wh- what happens when you sit down in a restaurant with a group of people?
2: Right. Well, it's fairly simple. So you sit down with a group um, and this is quite in, this is in a traditional sense, so I don't think it happens as much with friends, but the youngest person at the table is supposed to grab the chopsticks, all the chopsticks and distribute them out to everybody else who has come down, who's come to the dinner with you.
1: So how long can, I mean, there's a lot of group, a lot of people like to, it's very culturally normal for people to go in big groups of people as so. though. How long do you ever find yourself in that position?
2: Uh, I haven't. I think it's mostly been sometimes when I go out, maybe with my friends, we do it in a joking manner. So we start to make fun of somebody who's like the baby of the group. Like, oh, you're 20, whatever. You know nothing. Grab my uh, chop chopsticks, young man. Yeah. <laughs> like, Clean them off. Yeah. Give them to me. Of course, I'll be in so. no danger
0: of ever having to distribute <laughs> chopsticks.
2: <laughs> you never know. We can that find you something like real old friends. That is true. <laughs> Hang
1: Al, out. My grandma had a gambling club. She played Mahjong, and you had to be at least 90 to be in this club. <laughs> <laughs> so That's true. I might find gonna, myself in exactly the that situations. situation where I'm the junior. Exactly. Another, another <laughs> yeah. funny thing you pointed out, Allison, I think it ties yeah. in also with last week's uh, idea of saving face. The shoe thing.
2: Yes,
0: yes explain the shoes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so so this is well, you won't have this problem either, but you'll notice it. so it's with the ladies' shoes. So when you're out on the street, you know, so many of the women, they have high heels and you know it's anywhere from kitten heels, but there are many stilettos. Sort of wandering down the streets. And these are, there are not great sidewalks in many different places. And you're, or the sidewalks are covered with vendors and motorbikes and bicycles. So you have to walk out onto the street. So the women will, you know, just suffer, you know, to put on their best shoes and wander around and barely get around. But then the thing is, as soon as you go into the office, um, people take off those high stilettos and high shoes and they wander around in like slippers the entire day. (laughs) So, it's just sort of this in exact opposite <laughs> mentality. You know, in the office setting, it is totally acceptable to wear your slippers, but then out on the street, you know, you better be showing your best. So, we just for like me, these... it just this always looks so impractical.
1: Yeah. I mean, I ride my bike, and when I worked in this office building downtown, I would ride my bike in tennis shoes, and then when I got to the office, I would change and Pull put it on heels. Shoes. Right. Yeah. So, it would be kind of the opposite. And in th- the same goes for in the house. People will wear slippers in the house. And I think it's funny because it is a little bit of the you want your outward appearance to be good. You know, right, like we talked right. about last week. But yet week. in
0: the office, that usually you think of that as your power presentation or something <laughs> like that. <laughs>
1: yeah. I guess maybe not. I mean, maybe it's seen as this is the team I'm working with. They know so me. It's practically sounds, family at this sounds point. Sounds like a healthy... Right. And try to not impulse.
2: scuff up scuff, yeah. scuff up the floors and everything like that. <laughs> right. Practical. I think, but I mean, it's amazing. I mean, there are really sky high heels, and people are on like mo- semi automatic motorbikes, and they're like shifting gears in these. <laughs> it's Amazing! Like,
0: I'm amazed. The, the heels or the ankles survive. <laughs> I know exactly. They make it. We
1: all have something to learn there. True enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our next our next segment is my casal we call it kim's casal it's a proverb that i like to share with everyone brought to us from the old country translated into new orleans less confusing than confucius and more fun than a fortune cookie how often do you run into proverbs in vietnam allison
2: uh oh gosh not that often i've had some that my coworkers have tried to explain to me, but right. usually I get very lost.
1: Right, it's <laughs> it's definitely something that I mean, as a Vietnamese American, I feel like that would come out all the time when I was in Vietnam, but maybe less so because of the language barrier for yeah, expats right. or you know, Caucasian non-Speaking no. Vietnamese expats. Right. Um, but this week is this one's more of a saying rather than a proverb, um, and it I'm gonna. Go for it, okay. nai naikao, and literally translated, can you pick that up, Allison? How's your Vietnamese these days?
2: so Can you say it again?
1: Anhong
2: So something man rice. I don't know. Is that did oh. I get that right? Or something um, man no.
1: Close. Well, we do have Skype interfering with your your intake, so. I will, <laughs> I will go ahead and translate yeah, it. it. Um, it's literally not eating, but saying you have. So it's kind of a way of saying like pulling your leg or, uh, you know, basically telling a lie or telling a fib. So it's like you're saying you're eating. You're, you're saying you haven't eaten, but you're saying you have eaten. So không nói is... Sometimes I like to think that if there's a more difficult way with fewer words to say it, these proverbs will do that.
0: <laughs> it is a curious <laughs> saying.
1: So in those in those four words, you're supposed to understand that it was about pulling someone's leg or not being truthful. Did Got that, it. <laughs> right. I mean, I understand was, perfectly. Right, because you're probably laughing because this is probably the same process someone's tried to. Go through and and explaining another proverb. Um, And then each week we also help Al with his Vietnamese.
0: Last week our word wasn't exactly Vietnamese,
1: it was New Orleanian Vietnamese. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, It was the word for what Vietnamese people refer to as New Orleans East, which was Al?
0: Versailles. Yeah.
1: Versailles. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar, there's a a public. Uh, low income housing complex apartment complex called Versailles and since mm-hmm. then that's been seen even though it's now a aban- uh, blighted and unoccupied people still refer to Versailles as the heart of the Vietnamese community here out in the east so when you come back and visit you'll you'll be first of all a native speaker quasi native <laughs> exactly. speaker and you'll know how to I'll say just hit all the
2: proverbs exactly <laughs> did
0: you speak any Vietnamese before you went
1: Oh, no,
2: none whatsoever. So that was a little bit terrifying. But you could pretty much get around with um, uh, a few words and then just sort of acting things out.
0: (laughs) Courage, courage is all. Yeah, right.
1: Exactly. How ubiquitous is English nowadays? Before, it was definitely cusping such that people were learning English in schools. What's the situation like now?
2: Um, it sort of depends on the setting. So when you get down to the old quarter, sort of more the tourist areas, you're more likely to encounter English speakers. I would say maybe out in more of the neighborhoods, much less likely so will you encounter people. But then it's also, you know, a matter of those that have, you know, maybe more well paid jobs requiring education, they're probably gonna speak English and less so, you know, in shops and restaurants.
1: Hmm. Interesting. So well, yeah. today's lesson for Al is the word for chopsticks. Do you know it, Allison? Uh-oh, no. <laughs> Are you using a fork still, Allison?
2: No, no, I got the handle of the chopsticks down, sort of. I drop things a lot, but getting better.
1: Great, the word is doa.
0: do-a. huh.
1: There's a little bit, the accent on it, mm-hmm. th- the name of the accent is literally called fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nga uh, So it's, um, um, it almost sounds like you're falling When you use the accent So it's duạ.
0: Doa There you go Almost a little bit of a stop in there
1: Exactly cause. It's easy to teach Vietnamese to a musician Is what I'm learning
2: Oh right mm-hmm. With the tones
0: mm-hmm.
1: Exactly Um, Allison, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. I know it wasn't easy. There was times when you were using keyboards, missing a T and an H, and it's been a long time coming. And we're so glad to have you reporting out to us from Hanoi.
0: I've
2: enjoyed it so much. It was great to connect with you again.
1: I know. We should definitely continue to keep in touch. I know it's hard yeah and
2: I'll see you in a couple, another couple of months in my um, in my spare bedroom right
1: yes I'm actually okay. shooting for the winner so we'll see Okay, cool well thank you for joining us that's Vietnola for today wherever you are on your work at work on your phone wherever you are and whatever you're doing and a special thanks to today's guest Allison Ecker
0: our show is produced by Kim Vu Al Tharp and Grant Morris
1: our technical director is Chris Kehoe
0: our web guru is Dr. Cliff Brigden
1: Our theme song was written by Taylor Smith and performed by the Swamp Lilies.
0: The fabulous audio quality of this show is brought to you in part by PreSonus Audio Electronics. PreSonus makes some of the best audio recording and live sound products, including Studio One music production software, Studio Live digital mixing consoles, AERIS studio monitors, and much more. Visit www.presonus.com for more information.
1: You can follow us on Twitter at It's New Orleans. You can like us on Facebook, We're at It's New Orleans, and you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher.
0: You can listen to our other Vietnola shows on our website, itsneworleans.com, as well as our other shows, Happy Hour, Out to Lunch, Mindset, True the Game, at Midnight Menu Plus One.
1: Keep up with all kinds of fun happenings here at Vietnola by getting on our mailing list. Sign up on our website, itsneworleans.com.
0: Vietnola was recorded today at Phanoy Viet, 2005 Magazine Street in the Lower Garden District. If you'd like to be a guest on the Vietnola show, we'd love to have you. Drop us a line. You'll find all the info on our websites.
1: Vietnola is produced by INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com.
0: For Kim Vu and everyone here at Vietnola, thanks for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you back here around the table at Phanoy Viet next week for our next episode of Vietnola. Until then, I'm Al Tharp.
1: And I'm Kim Vu. Bye.
0: Summer's almost over, but at Old Navy, the styles are as hot as ever. Get to Old Navy now for 30% off all jeans, 40% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, get 30, 40, and 50% off all your favorite styles for the whole family, plus up to 75% off clearance. Hurry in fast. These deals won't last. The sale ends soon at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid in-store 822 to 828 and online 822 to 824. Excludes in-store clearance, bubbles, active, licensed, and men's package tees.